It is hour two, the game, the game after work, and it is uh, it, this is our final Friday show for a while as football season starts, of course, next week. So Troy and I will be going off in different directions for high school football. And, of course, Scoreboard Saturday returns next week, and so does Power Cat Game Day. A week from tomorrow, 2 o'clock on September 2nd, it is Power Cat Game Day with Cole Manbeck, Derek Young, and myself, and we will preview for the first two hours of your pregame coverage starting at 2 o'clock, kicking off the four hours of pregame coverage. Talking about Kansas State, talking about Southeast Missouri. That kicks off at 6 o'clock from Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Plus a reminder, K-State Volleyball starts their 50th season in program history tonight in Portland, Oregon, as they will play Portland State. 9 o'clock Central Time for that start. That will be televised on ESPN+. This is our final Big 12 preview for the 2023 season, and we go to another newcomer. We are pleased now to be joined by Mitch Harper from KSL Sports to cover and to preview BYU. Mitch, thank you so much for your uh, time here on the show. A lot of extra hype this year for BYU with its first season in the Big 12. A ton of hype, uh, a ton of excitement, you know, and I think that Cougar fans are, you know, feeling like they're optimistic. They, I feel like they like this roster. I know Kalani Satake feels this is the deepest team he's assembled since he's been the head coach since 2016, but at the same time, there's so many unknowns. And But this opportunity, this stage, is what BYU fans have been dreaming of for decades. I mean, since the days of Lavelle Edwards when squaring off against Bill Snyder in the Cotton Bowl, I mean, that's... <laughs> This was the type of stuff that BYU was dreaming of for so many years, and now it's here, and they've got the chance to kind of, you know, el- try to elevate their brand in what I think is gonna be, uh, the best conference moving forward in this new era of college football. Believe me, K State fans remember that Cotton Bowl, remember the Hail Mary, but also remember losing that game. Unfortunately, BYU not on the schedule for this year. But before we dive into what twenty twenty three BYU should look like. I got to ask about Utah. Except uh, they accepted the friend request from the Big Twelve and Brett Yomark to join. How do BYU fans feel about that? They're not happy. Uh, they don't. They didn't want Utah at all. BYU administrators they wanted Utah. There's always been, uh, you know, BYU's always been very uh, much wanting an alliance with Utah over the years. And so I think you know BYU's athletic director Tom Homo, the president uh, Shane Reese is a new president at the school. I think they were very inviting and excited to have Utah there. But fans, no, they, they didn't want Utah because for so many years, you know, BYU was, was told that they were inferior to Utah. And really, you know, in the, the dynamics in this state in the 80s and 90s, BYU fans were everywhere. And, and then Urban Meyer came to Utah in about 04 and, and really changed things, the dynamics of, of fans' fan interest in college football in this state. And, you know, it's been a big divide. And, and I think that BYU wanted to have maybe Utah at least sweat for a little bit as far as kind of feeling it out, trying to find their, their uh, lifeboat in, in conference realignment because BYU knows all too well the, the realities of, and difficulties of being left out in realignment discussions. So I think BYU fans were hoping for a little bit of that. But ultimately, having those two paired up in this league is going to be great value. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see... You know where Brett Yormark and the te- television decision makers line up that game because it's going to be a must-see event. I mean, I think it's going to be the type of game 
where Big 12 fans might eventually say, that's a bucket list game that I want to see as a Big 12 fan to see BYU and Utah in the Holy War on an annual basis. I was talking about it a few weeks ago. I think the Holy War is very healthy for uh, the brand of, of Big 12 football, especially expanding out towards the West. There is a marquee uh, rivalry game that could be the norm heading forward. I, I, I'm all about it. Now, looking at BYU in 2023, I was doing my research earlier. Is this a very transfer-heavy team this year? It is. Uh, 60 new faces wow. on this roster that were not on the team a season ago. It's not quite a Deion Sanders split, but, man, Kalani Satake did a lot of changes. And part of that is is transfer portal. It's also return missionaries that are going into their first year in the program and also true freshmen and junior college transfers. So a lot of different avenues in assembling those new faces. But it is a new team. And I think the good thing is for BYU is that they have quite a bit of success in the transfer portal, uh, not only in this cycle but in previous cycles too. Whenever they turn to that portal, they, they usually hit on a lot of guys uh, over the years. And, you know, one particular was a preseason All-Big 12 pick this year, Kingsley Suamatia, who last year came from Oregon and, and was one of the best offensive linemen out west, didn't give up a sack at the right tackle position a season ago. But BYU's number one transfer this year, it's going to rest on the arm of, of Keaton Slovis at quarterback. And, and I think the feeling when he came to BYU from Pitt, a lot of Cougar fans, the pulse around the, the fan base was, are, are they getting a broken quarterback? Uh, you know, third team, third year, is he trending downwards? Is this a guy that's that's not going to provide much, but I, I got to say that he's uh, exceeded everyone's expectations thus far. It almost feels like he's been a BYU guy for years, which is strange because, you know, years ago, you'd have to look this up. He, he said something in effect when he played BYU as a USC quarterback. He thought that uh, Provo was just like a Truman show. He's like a bubble, these weird, friendly people. And now he's part of it, and he's really embraced BYU and Provo and He's become a leader of this program, and he's got to be because outside of him, there's not many uh, game-ready options at that quarterback spot. So Slovis is going to carry the day, and he's going to try to bring all these new faces together to lead BYU to success in year one in the Big 12. Has it been very common for Kalani Satake to have a quarterback that isn't necessarily dual threat? No, it's not. And, you know, that's going to be it's a great question because I feel like that's one of the fascinating storylines with this BYU team this year because Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall, both NFL draft picks, they were dual-threat guys, and I think that changes the dynamic quite a bit for this offense. And I think it's one of the reasons they loaded up at the running back position. They bring in UNLV transfer Aiden Robbins, who was a 1,000-yard rusher a year ago behind one of the worst offensive lines in college football, and he still racked up 1,000 yards. He is big, six foot three, 240 pounds. He is going to be tough for opposing defenses in this league to bring down. I, honestly, guys, I, and I try to be as objective as possible, but I, I really feel Aiden Robbins has got the potential to maybe be a first-team all-Big 12 guy. He, he's that good. He's a talented runner. And then they also have this kid uh, that's a freshman out of El Paso, Texas. L.J. Martin was once a Stanford commit, also previously Texas Tech commit, but he's now ended up at BYU and the buzz around the program, he might be one of the best offensive players already. He's only 18 years old, but he's probably going to be that RB2 behind Robbins. And they've also got a Colorado transfer in Deion Smith. And they've got good options at the running back position. And I'm void of not having a dual threat at the quarterback spot. 
Hey, Mitch, don't worry about being a little biased. I was on a Texas outlet the other day, and I was super biased. It's all cool. I get it. Um, you mentioned running backs. What about a wide receiver? What kind of transfers are coming in for that spot? They bring in UConn transfer Keelan Marion, who a speedster a couple years ago was the leading receiver for UConn. Last season, he had an injury that caused him to, to miss all but one game. Uh, but he's a he's a speedster, and then you know post spring BYU had a pressing need at the wide receiver spot, and that's why they bring in Marion. They also bring in Darius Lassiter uh, from Eastern Michigan. He's got some Big Twelve ties. His his brother Kwame Lassiter was a former Kansas Jayhawk, uh, and now is in the NFL. So there's some ties there, and his dad played at Kansas in the '90s too. Uh, so Darius is going to have some high emotions when BYU lines up against the Jayhawks in that September first Big Twelve opener for BYU. Uh, those guys are going to be in the top six. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see the growth of some of the returning faces. Cody Epps in particular, you know, he had a brief stint in the transfer portal in April that shocked everyone. It was only a 48-hour stay before he announced he was coming back, but I think there was a little bit of repairing the locker room dynamic for Cody because it was so sudden and abrupt how he left the team and went into the portal to kind of feel, you know, put feelers out there as to what his Maybe NIL value was at in the market after a pretty solid season a year ago for BYU. And they also have this kid, Chase Roberts, who's a little bit older. Uh, he's a return missionary, Richard sophomore. He played last year, had a big game against Baylor in replace of Puka Nakua, who was injured in that one. Chase Roberts is the name to watch for BYU. He, he could end up being the number one receiver for BYU, but uh, th- those are some of the notable names to watch the wide receiver spot. Last question about the offense here, Mitch, and that's about um, the Barrington brothers on the offensive line that were previously at BYU. I was talking to a Baylor guy recently, and he said like one of these uh, Barrington brothers might be their best player out of the transfer portal this year. They were heavy in the portal for 2023. How big of a loss was that for BYU? Clark Clark Barrington was a big loss, and you know he was he was an All American type guard. Uh, you know he had some outlets ranked him as an All American during his time at BYU. Last year, he regressed, though, a little bit, but I feel like that's going to be a big-time addition for Baylor, though, because he was such in lockstep, and Jeff Grimes identified him early, and he'll do great at Baylor. I think there was a little bit of a disconnect between BYU's O-line coach and Barrington. I think it caused him to regress a little bit, and that's why he ultimately you know, took advantage of the COVID year and going to finish out at Baylor. I think Campbell Barrington was not as big of a loss because – BYU already had Kingsley Suamata'ia, and then they added Oklahoma State transfer Caleb Etienne. And the early return on Etienne is that he's probably going to be the starter at right tackle. Uh, you know, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State made it out of spring ball that he lost his job at that left tackle position where he started a year ago, 13 games for the Pokes. And, you know, I think Etienne's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I, I talked to him uh, at the beginning of fall camp, and, you know, he was very, he had a pretty robust market for him in the portal. A lot of SEC interest, but wanted to go to BYU because he's got a kid and he wanted to be kind of in a low-profile family environment. And there's a lot of BYU guys that that do have some kids. There's some background of that, and uh, you know BYU is a pretty good place for for that family environment. So I think ETN will have a, a nice bounce back year because he even admitted last season he didn't play at his best for Oklahoma State, and so it's a chance for him to really uh, you know get his stock trending upward as he tries to make his best case for for the NFL. We're previewing BYU football with Mitch Harper from KSL Sports. Over to the defensive side of the football, 
it's hard to put, I mean, truly a positive spin on how rough the the BYU defense was last year, uh, kind of across the board, just rough numbers. And I saw that there was kind of a, a spring cleaning of the coaching staff on that defensive side. I'd like to know what you feel like. Was it a home run hire with Jay Hill being added as the defensive coordinator who used to be at Utah for a while? I believe it was in, in, in the sense that he's in, in complete lockstep with what Kalani Sataki expects. From, from a defensive coach and they, they're just there's a lot of uh, synergy between those two and, and you know and also in for VU's case when you're thinking long term about you know the head coach position if Kalani Sataki ever said and I don't think it's going to be the case anytime soon but if he ever said I'm going to move on and go to another job BYU's potentially got their next head coach waiting in the wings because Jay Hill is L- LDS and you know, and that's that's something that matters to BYU when you're thinking about head coaching pool because it's very small, and to have him actually get in-house experience at BYU is very valuable. But I think Jay Hill is a home run for BYU in a lot of different ways. I and mean, I think also too, you noted the stats. I mean, it was it was near rock bottom. I mean, it was probably the the worst BYU defense in the last thirty years. A season ago, they couldn't stop anyone. Third downs, they could not get off the field. In the game against Arkansas last year, from the end of the first quarter to the end of the game, Arkansas had every drive finished with a touchdown or a field goal. It was it was bad look for BYU. And so Jay Hill comes in. He's overhauled the staff. All the assistant coaches have Power 5 coaching experience. And they've also been a lot more aggressive on the recruiting trail. And I think that's why you've seen a big uptick in the number of, of transfers and, and the, the new faces that are on this team. They... Last year's defense was a lot of drop eight, very passive. This group is going to be aggressive. They want to tee off and get these defensive ends to go get to the quarterback. Last year they had 15 stacks. That was 129th nationally. I think that number is going to go up significantly. They are going to be very aggressive. I'm curious, though, to see if they've got the personnel to actually make that work. But uh, they feel pretty confident they have a chance to maybe surprise some folks in the Big 12 this year in year one. On defense, does BYU have a returner or a couple of guys that return that you would say is the solid foundation just to kind of build once again on that defense, or is it going to have to rely on transfers? I think the star of the the defense is a cornerback that came from Weber State with Jay Hill. That's Eddie Hecker. He's a cornerback slash nickel for BYU. I think he's going to end up being the best player on BYU's defense. He was an FCS All-American a season ago at Weber State, had offers from Cincinnati, UCLA out of the transfer portal, and BYU ended up getting him. It was a big get, and you know he's he's pretty versatile, and and he was someone that was on the Shrine Bowl watch list, uh, you know, coming into the season. So he's a name to watch for. I also am really intrigued to see what Tyler Batty, a defensive end, what he can become. BYU hasn't had a individual on defense get ten plus sacks. Since Kalani Sataki took over as head coach in 2016, they had never had that elite, you know, pass rusher during Kalani Sataki's time, and that's been surprising because his days at Utah, when he was the defensive coordinator, they had what they called Sack Lake City with some really good defensive ends, and it's just never materialized at BYU. So Batty is a name to keep an eye on, and then also linebacker Ben Bywater is going to anchor that Mac linebacker spot in the middle. He's got 200 tackles over the last two years. He's going to be just a solid kind of tackling machine for BYU in the heart of that 4-3 defense. 
I love that name, Sack Lake City. Has Utah never been like, hey, next time we play, let's put that name up on the line because we're in Salt Lake City? <laughs> and maybe they, they bring it back in, in the Big 12. I know, you know Utah's got a feeling they're going to step into this league and just be the best team ever. So maybe they'll just bring it back in, in for the when they join the Big 12. But, yeah, that's what they used to call themselves when Kalani was, was uh, rolling with Whittingham and Utah. Uh, Sack Lake City was their calling card back then. I'm looking at the uh, the schedule right now for the Cougars in 2023. I mean, is it is it hard not to just look straight ahead at Senior Day and when Oklahoma comes to town as being the big home game on the schedule? It, it, it's quite the game, and I think that I think Cougar fans are very excited for that one. I I, I got to imagine that's probably going to be the, one of the most expensive tickets in the history of of Lavelle Edwards Stadium, and just to have Oklahoma's brand roll in, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, you know, I think BYU, though, is excited for a lot of these games uh, in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, you know, and I think that it, it's going to be interesting to see how BYU stacks up. I mean, they've never played a schedule where you got 10 Power 5 opponents. And, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about BYU's maybe out of the newcomers the most ready to handle a more, you know, Power 5 heavy schedule. But the thing is, I've always kind of pointed to is BYU played a lot of P5 opponents as an independent, but there was never just an intensity in the games. I went to a lot of these venues and, and, and places that BYU played at, and just maybe the fan bases were like, why are we playing BYU uh, in, out of conference in November? And it was just always kind of a, a strange deal. There wasn't much juice in the building, and sometimes the opponent just was deep walking, thinking, why are we playing this game? And uh, this, the, the intensity will always be there now with a conference, the element of, of having that at stake, and that's just going to be a new dynamic, and I think it's going to be great for BYU, and it's going to be great uh, for this league. But that Oklahoma game will be a lot of fun, and you know BYU's got you know perfect record against the Sooners last game coming in 2009 at Jerry's World to open that stadium when Sam Bradford was there. But uh, that'll be a fun one. That whole schedule I think poses so many fun storylines from top to bottom. Well, Mitch, to wrap up, BYU picked to finish 11th um, in their first season in the Big 12. Prediction-wise, preseason, where do you have BYU finishing? I've got BYU finishing 7-5. and five. I think they'll be around 8th or ninth in the Big 12. And I think it's fair to say, you know, going into the season that they were around 11th. I mean, there's still so many unknowns. And, man, that, that uh, you know, depth at quarterback is a real question. I know Aaron Roderick, the offensive coordinator, believes they've got, you know, second and third options behind Keaton Slovis to win games. But, Slovis goes down. You go from maybe a seven-win season to suddenly, you know, three or four at best, and so uh, so it's thin margins for BYU. But I think seven and five, and I, you know, and honestly, I think the first month of the season sets up in a way that BYU can maybe make a splash early in the league. You open up with Sam Houston on September second. That's a win in Southern Utah, and then you go on the road at Arkansas. And Kalani Sataki teams have been really good in revenge opportunities. They won against Wisconsin a few years back in a revenge spot. They beat they beat Utah in twenty twenty one. BYU's good in those kind of spots. Arkansas is going to be more of a slower tempo paced team this year. I think BYU can maybe spring the upset there, and then you go at Kansas. So that's going to be maybe a toss up game. See if Jalen Daniels' back is still you know causing causing lingering issues for him there. Maybe Gary could uh, you know put up a high scoring game there. And then you go at home against Cincinnati. I mean, I think it's reasonable to think maybe a 5-0 and start could be in the cards, maybe, if things break BYU's way. But then October, that's 
different story. That's going to be where do you get a win. So I'm saying seven and five for BYU, around eighth or ninth in the league. Well, Mitch, I uh, appreciate your time, and since I'm a Mitch as well, is your real name Mitchell? It is not. It's just, oh. just Mitch. It's just Mitch. That's my uh, people always kind of wonder if it's Mitchell, but nope, just uh, Smitch. Because I get that question all the time, and yes, my real name is Mitchell. That's the first uh, I've I've met I've met a Mitch without the E L L on the real name. That's interesting. <laughs> yep, just uh, just a Mitch. So it's good to talk to another Mitch, and uh, uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Well, welcome officially to the Mitch Club. It's you, me, and uh, the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, who was on uh, on yesterday. So uh, I'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure we'll be talking again down the road. You bet. Take care. Anytime. That's Mitch Harper. He represents KSL Sports. Thank you for his time giving us a preview of the BYU Cougars. Let's take a break as we bring back Mitch in Vegas next. How lucky can one guy be? Aye, it's been a minute, hasn't it? A hot one. Uh, we go from one hot Manhattan, Kansas to another hot Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to Sin City and welcome back to another edition of Mitch in Vegas. It's a brand new season. After Troy wins last year's Mitch in Vegas competition, it's once again Troy, myself, DG, who's not here today, but gave me his picks. And of course, I put all six games on Twitter and the people also get a say. So let's head into the casino because we need to lay some bets down. When you're in Vegas, it's not on the phone. You go right. into a book. Yep. And you lay it down old school style. Yep. Uh, game number one is week zero officially gets underway tomorrow at 1.30 on NBC. And it's got to be the first time college football's opened up overseas, right? No. It's not? Nope. Has it happened many times? Uh, No, but it's been relatively rare. I mean, Notre Dame and Navy are playing there for the third time all time. Are they? Number 13, Notre Dame is a 20-and-a-half point favorite as they host Navy. And this is a rivalry. I mean, I, I got to pull it up here. That dates back to 1927, but it's been dominated by Navy, or by uh, Notre Dame. Dominated. The, uh, the series record is 81 wins for Notre Dame, 13 for Navy, and one draw in there. Uh, DG has taken the points. He's going Notre Dame. The people via Twitter are just barely going Navy or going uh, Notre Dame right now, but it's mm. 52 to 48. That line is so very high for a Notre Dame team that I think has some questions going into the season. I'm going Navy because they've got that nice big cushion. Well, if, if Notre Dame has any questions, Navy's going to have more. Sure. Ken Niamatololo is no longer the head coach. He's out after 15 seasons. Defensive coordinator Brian Newberry is going to take over. We're on the street. I'm pretty sure they're still going to be playing the option. Yep. Um, Notre Dame, as I've said, they've been dominating the series. They've won the last five, and they've in all those games about one, they have covered – 22 points or so besides last year's game and that was a game Notre Dame was running away with and then Navy starts to make a comeback but Notre Dame still wins that game by three I mean Notre Dame should by far be a more talented team they just have to be ready to stop the the option uh so I'm as well actually going to be taking Notre Dame minus 
20 and a half points. I have Notre Dame winning by 24. All right, our next matchup takes us to, and this is a misconception, because when you hear Jacksonville State, you're thinking Florida. Jacksonville, Alabama. Been there. Because I've actually seen, uh, I was reading a couple of uh, articles, and they're all saying, oh, it's uh, UTEP going to the Sunshine State. Nope. Mm -mm. They're going to Alabama. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would imagine Jacksonville, Alabama is a little cruddier than uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Would you agree? And probably when you add to the fact that they had a major tornado rip through there a few years ago. Uh, Excuse me for those rude remarks. I just said Jacksonville, Alabama. I'm sorry about that. Burgess Snowfield. UTEP on the road, but they're a favorite by one and a half. I'll let Troy go first. 430 on CBS Sports Network. I think UTEP handles this one with relative ease, given that Jacksonville State is effectively starting to play up. They've been an FCS power, uh, Ohio Valley Conference team, but moving to the uh, FBS level to become a Sunbelt team, they're going to be good, but I don't think that they're just at that level yet where UTEP can make some things happen. The people say UTEP 87% on that vote right now. You're right, yes. Um, Jacksonville State's one of four that is being moved up into the into Conference USA along with Liberty. New Mexico State, shout out to the Aggies who will actually be coming up here in just a moment uh, getting that promotion after being an independent. And then Sam Houston is the other one that joined officially on July 1st. Let's not forget, two years ago, Jacksonville State went into Tallahassee and beat Florida State on the final play of the game. That was a 5-7 and seven team. Also, Florida State was a lot worse back then, too. But last year, Jacksonville State was 9-2, and two, and I was looking up their stats last year. They had a pretty high-powered offense a year ago. They were averaging almost 430 yards a game, and... That's also being considered that they had a better ground attack than a passing attack. Jacksonville State with 251 rushing yards a game. That's an incredible number. UTEP is supposed to be better, but they were supposed to be better last year. Dana Dimmel is having a tough time trying to exceed expectations. You know what? I'm feeling Jacksonville State winning their first game at the FBS level. Next, here comes New Mexico State. They are a seven-point favorite as they are at home at Aggie Memorial Stadium in Las Cruces, New Mexico, as they will host UMass at 6 o'clock on ESPN. The people are going with New Mexico State, and DG also says New Mexico State. What does Troy have to say about the Aggies? No, I'm uh, all on that one as well. UMass has not been a good football program, and Jerry Kill continues to do great things as a coach, and he's got his team ready for a conference finally as they get shifted this year into Conference USA. I'm blown away. It's only seven points. True. At home. And you're right, Jerry, he's been at the helm for one year, and he took a team that had won three games in the last four, or it was four games in the last, or eight games in the last four seasons. That's what it was. Eight games in the last four seasons here in Mexico State, and they end up going to a bowl game under the first year of Jerry Kill, and they win seven games. Absolutely going to be taking New Mexico State to easily cover seven points. Three games to go, Ohio at San Diego State at the Snapdragon Stadium 
in San Diego, California, Snapdragon is also a wrestling move called a Snapdragon suplex, where you just dump somebody on their head after giving them a half, uh, full Nelson suplex. But the Aztecs, who told um, the Pac-12 by Felicia, uh, after we thought they were going to join, mm-hmm. uh, is a three-point favorite. Man, are they in uh, in winning ability at this point? I mean, talk about, you know, you saved your butts from being in the demise of the Pac-12, and now, while you've got a little stability, you've got yourself a nice new stadium, relatively new stadium, and an opener where you can make some things happen. I believe it'll be a high-scoring game, but I think that San Diego State is able to outlast the Bearcats. By the way, Snapdragon is actually owned by Qualcomm. Yes. So... Mm -hmm. There's still that tie. They can't get away from that that certain tie that used to be the home of the San Diego Chargers and the home of the Holiday Bowl. I think it still is actually the home of the Holiday Bowl. It is. Um, this is actually a really tough one to predict. I thought this was the toughest one to predict out of any of them because Ohio can be good, and then you have San Diego State, who is projected to be a real sneaky team. But I, I'm going to go with the experts on this one because the, the betting experts say that this is a bad matchup for Ohio. So I'm going to be taking San Diego State to cover three points at home. But DG is going to be taking Ohio. And the people say San Diego State. Although I did say Dan Diego State um, <laughs> on Twitter. I, I agree with you, sir, on Twitter. That does sound like a pretty cool guy. Uh, fifth game out of six. Hawaii at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, 17 and a half point favorite the people say hawaii by the way saw the temporary scoreboard go up today they were testing via windows which had someone laughing um that is too much of a cushion that is way too much of a cushion for a vanderbilt program that continues to be well worse than mediocre i think hawaii can actually make that a closer ball game than 17 and a half uh, let's see. DG said Vanderbilt. Uh, I remember last year's Week Zero game between these two teams, and Vanderbilt went to Hawaii and won sixty-three to ten. Even though Vandy wasn't exactly solid, the thing is Hawaii's terrible, and there's not a lot of uh, there's not a whole lot of light at the end of that tunnel right now. So I'm going to have to take Vanderbilt. And then the final game. San Jose State is visiting number six USC at the Coliseum in LA, seven o'clock in the Pac-12 Network. USC Troy favored by thirty and a half points, and I don't think that it'll even be close to that. I think USC dominates this game. San Jose State has had some limited success of recent, but that is a program that uh, continues to be the dregs of the Mountain West Conference and. USC <laughs> looking at a oh god yes uh, USC looking at a potential Heisman campaign for their quarterback Caleb Williams yeah they're going to want to roll Caleb Williams once again the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy won it last year could he be the second ever to do it back to back you're right San Jose State had one of the worst defenses in college football last year meanwhile you have one of the best offenses even though USC are they going to answer their defensive questions it was not good last year We'll see, but I think it, it, it's got to be good enough to stop a mediocre San Jose State offense. I mean, how many touchdowns does Caleb Williams score in the first half? Right. Could be the big story, and then he gets pulled for the rest of the game, and hopefully USC hangs on to win by more than 30.5 points. I'm taking the Trojans. 
Let's take a break. When we come back, it is your number one song of the day and some Ask Us Anything after these words.